Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcasts. We're your hosts, Suzanne Kearns and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses, from your professional life to your emotional health. You're a mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. <laughs> it says it's going. All right, we're live. Yay! All right. Do you want to kick us off? I will. All right. Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. I'm Suzanne Kearns, Mom and Dot 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 writer, LGBTQ and sex ed advocate. And today and every day, I am a teacher appreciator. Yes. I'm Missy Stevens, Mom and Dot 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 writer, foster care advocate. And I, it feels like I'm stealing Suzanne's, but she stole mine. I am a teacher appreciating today. <laughs> we did we're just both really teacher appreciating all day long. I was thinking that we were doing this and then, oh God, for teachers. Yeah. And I'm so glad we get to highlight it tonight because. Yes. Because it is teacher appreciation week, y'all. So by the time this airs on Thursday, you better really get your act together. So I hope you're watching this live tonight <laughs> or else you're going to be doing some serious urgent run to the Starbucks to like get your stack of gift yeah. cards. Tonight, our guests are Julian Forrest and Jen Mangles, who I will undoubtedly refer to as Miss Forrest and Miss Mangles because for many glorious BC, which was the before COVID years, they were my kiddos' teachers. At least Miss Forrest was, had both of my kiddos. But y'all had my, my, I don't ever say his name, my boy, my boy. <laughs> boy um, <laughs> yeah, the boy child. Julian is a mom and dot, dot, dot teacher, literacy coach, mentor program and PD designer and published author. And when not with her husband and four sons, she enjoys reading, running. And when we say running, she is like really running. Like she just on New Year's Day every year, she does a marathon, like just for kicks in the morning. Oh. And Jen Mangles is a mom and dot, dot, dot classroom teacher of second, third and fourth graders over the past 20 years. Her teaching passions include social emotional learning and inspiring every student to be a math person. And she's got two amazing boys. And when she's not teaching or driving kids to sport, she loves taking long walks with her husband or short walks with her two tiny dogs. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited to have you and to see you again. Thank you. We are so happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, we're so glad you are here. And we kind of scratched the surface on your bios, but we would love for you. We love to talk about career progression and how moms end up where they are. And if you've had any major, like if parenting changed the way you approach your career or any other big pivots along the way. So um, why don't we start with Jennifer? Yeah. Jen, sorry. Um, no, you're fine. I feel like I'm in trouble though, if it's Jennifer. So <laughs> that's my name is Melissa. I know. And I tried to be Melissa when I first went to like real work when I graduated college yeah. and I got a job. Yeah. And every time someone would talk to me, I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have to sit up straighter and my middle name is coming next. I know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I um, have known for a long time that I wanted to be a teacher. Like I was one of those nerdy kids who would like set up her stuffed animals and make seating charts for them and have great books for them. And I may have gotten an overhead projector for Christmas when I was in like fourth and fifth grade. Oh. I'm serious, y'all. The level of nerd and planning ahead is pretty epic. And yeah, I, you know, once I kind of got started, I taught for about three years before I met my husband. And then a few years later, we had two boys along the way. And really, I think the biggest change, you know, in, in being a teacher is a big sense of humility. I think mm -hmm. that parenting is so much more challenging than teaching in a lot of ways. And, and while I thought, you know, I could read my parenting books and I've taught so many kids, you know, and, and my kids know how to do this and I've got all these classroom management strategies, my boys don't really care about those classroom management strategies that work so well with, you know, all these kids in the classroom. And so it's really humbling in a lot of ways, but it's, I think for me, it's been a really good opportunity to think through, you know, kind of my balance for myself too. I think when my two were really little, it was a lot about either my classroom is moving along just the way it needs to, or the house is clean and always kind of trying to make sure that everything got equal and that never happened. <laughs> it just kind of, yeah. And it became more about wherever I am in this moment, I'm going to try to really tune in and 
And I think I kind of lived up to that, that nickname at my first campus. My nickname was Zen Jen and, and kind of tuning into that mindfulness piece as a mom and a teacher has been like a big game changer for sure. So necessary during the times we are living in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we love to tune into what's good in this moment, absolutely, and to be fully present and kind of back burner the to do list is you know yeah. kind of a it's big work, but it's worthwhile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how about sure. you? Well, for me, I started out and I was on the psychology track, and I got my degree in psychology and decided before I went to grad school. I was going to kind of take some time and kind of just see things. You do some, I did some instructional aiding and I found that I just loved the teaching piece. So decided to do that and began a career 30 years ago. Um, have taught everything from kindergarten through collegiate age. Um, so before I had kids, a couple of things happened. I had a a brain tumor removed, which kind of put all of things in perspective for, you know, like I was you know, in my first years of teaching, it's that my work and really, you know, driven to make that classroom and have it all together in your first five years, you know, and really it wasn't all together, but <laughs> really working hard. And I mean, those, those first years are really tricky, but then having some life perspective and going back to the classroom and saying, all right, this is kind of a, this is my purpose. It's really not mm-hmm. about being the best teacher or the kids learning everything in the scores. It was really about like, kids finding their purpose because I knew just a different value of life. So then um, started having kids and learned a lot more there because everybody was different. Like I had a single and then I had twins and then I had single. And I mean, life became, I knew I didn't have control. And that was the biggest, <laughs> I think I echo what Jen says, like with teaching and parenting, you just learn that I don't have that control of all these 25 in my in front of me, I can lay it down, but are they going to pick it up? And the same thing with our kids, you know, this is their journey. They're each, each unique. And I really learned that having kids and that has translated in the classroom to a much more, I think, healthy balance, like Jen's saying, in terms of investing in them as people and not just saying yeah. the learning, you've got to, you know, you've got to get to this XYZ point. It's really about you growing as a person and as a learner. So it's different, you know, um, and I moved states. So things have changed throughout my career, kind of being in some different areas in the country. And so right. things are different. Um, and as a staff developer and presenting in California, what I was doing, you know, I got to see a lot of different teaching situations, a lot of different kinds of schools. So that really affected how I appreciate where we are now, too, in different ways. And I hear other people's struggles and say, I remember being with those teachers and I can really, you know, my heart goes to that and I can see things from some different perspectives too. Oh yeah. And that's really interesting. I didn't realize that you had a background in psychology and a lot of things are like, oh, that makes sense now. (laughs) So as my daughter, as I use her name, Zoe, is looking at different majors and stuff, some of the classes for the liberal arts are around psychology. And it's like, you can never go wrong knowing about how people's minds work. I mean, you can, no matter what you end up doing, that that comes in handy. And as teaching, yeah, wow. Fascinating work to know, kind of know what's making it tick. And I'm sure in the classroom when you, like you said, they're all different. And then your own children are all different. And we can't just say, this is how we talk to guests about it today on a show that will run later in the month. But you can't just say like, this is how you get this child to sit still in a chair because it might not yep. work for that kid. That mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a constant responsive. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, with parenting too, it's not a one day, like we put this in place and it just works. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing yep. with teaching, right? It is a constant practice and it's a constant thinking about being intentional with everything that you do. And it's not mm-hmm. just a stopgap measure to get me through today. Because really the long-term payouts are what matter. And so the more you stick with something and are really intentional in how that works. Yeah. I think that speaks to kind of that humility piece too, right? Where we might make assumptions sometimes that a strategy that works really quickly for one kid or for another family is going to take time and it's going to be messier before it's better. (laughs) And I think that lesson as a teacher and a parent, like I'm continuing to learn that one big time too, right? Like it's going I to be love worth that. it to do the work, knowing that it's going to be messier in the moment because we're talking about a long-term investment here. 
Oh, I needed that reminder today. Yes, I just thought <laughs> simple tasks sometimes in my life. I don't necessarily want to start them because I know about the mess. And I'm just talking about the physical mess. Yeah. But then there are the things like if you know you have to have a conversation with somebody that's hard, you know it's going to get messy. Yep. But you have to go through that to get to the better place. And that's an excellent reminder. It for the classroom, for life, for whatever it is. Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. That's something that we've said, you know, in our more recent, I would say, Julin, parent information nights and back to school nights, that learning is a messy process. And if it's really like step by step, then your kid is not authentically challenging themselves and taking risks, right? Mm -hmm. Because it should be like a, okay, I figured this out, but now I'm curious about this, right? It's not a super, super nice curve. And, and a super clear trend. It's definitely a messy process. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, when one of the fears in parenting or in life is that you're going to make a mistake, right? And mistakes are just opportunities and they're just a way that kind of tell you, okay, try another way. <laughs> or, you know, you learn something from those. And I think that was something that I really learned growing into the teaching role because I think mm-hmm. a student myself. I was much more like I couldn't make a mistake and I had, there was a path, the right way and a wrong way. And I think that I've really learned, especially from being on the other side as, you know, teacher saying like mistakes are the way we grow. Like that's, you, you have to have mistakes. And if you think about it, like that's really the job of a teacher, right? That we're creating a space and a climate where kids feel safe and comfortable enough in who they are as a person and in the community that we build as teachers and as the kids that you can make mistakes, right? And that those messy pieces are embraced and even celebrated. And that's wow. easy to say and hard to do. But I think that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that I'm I'm most proud to be part of, you know, in, in this line of work. It's mm-hmm. it really is humbling, but it's not about necessarily lessons and, and what that looks like from our perspective, but how do the kids feel in response to this mm-hmm. space that we've created, right? Yeah. And I want to talk, dive into that a little bit more because the space that you have created is really unique and it's really innovative. And I mean, that kind of makes me think teaching as far as what we think of as the schools that we went to back in the 70s and 80s, not the same. It is not the same. And I think we hear about a lot of the headlines about some of the reasons it's not the same is because you're being tasked to be like a counselor. You're doing all kinds of social skills. You're doing all, I mean, just you're the doctor. I've literally seen at least one of you hold out a bucket for someone to barf in while you're like teaching at the same time. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. But there's also a good side to it not being the same way as when we were in school, as far as like, I'm so, so, so grateful that both my kids got to be part of your SPLC program. And I know you've moved to a new school, so I don't know if it's still called that or if it's still the same, but the general idea is that this, it's a multi-grade cohort of kiddos based on their strengths and like the older ones or people who are stronger in a certain category, getting to help the others along. That's or It's just, it's just the neatest thing. And I can't even do justice to it. So I would love for you, because I know Julian and you, you had to invent this and like present it to a district where this did not exist. Like, what did that even look like? What did the buy-in look like? Was that like a 10-year process, a one-year process? Well, it was definitely an ongoing process. You know, I think one of the things, so one of the things that I brought in my back pocket from California was that we did what was called looping. And that's done here as well, where a teacher will stay with the same kids for multiple Mm -hmm. years and Mm -hmm. what we call loop up. Mm -hmm. And I had done that for a number of years. And I just saw the power of time and building those safe relationships. And everybody has their own process. And just having that comfortability that like, we have more time to get wherever we need to get to (laughs) was really helpful and just kind of helped everybody And it also provided opportunity, like you were saying, Missy, that like sometimes there's confrontations and that's what that's what our human world is like. Like, yeah, sometimes we try to kind of just like, okay, it's only going to be a year. We'll just get through this and then it'll be a new teacher and it'll all be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be someone else's problem. Yeah, Yeah. You know, three, two, three years, you really do have to decide that this is like a family and Mm -hmm. honest with each other. And all of the times that are hard are actually because we care. So it's really reframing confrontation to kids or conflict that if there's conflict, that means that 
you know, if someone's coming to apologize to you or to tell you that, hey, that really hurt my feelings, it's because they care. If they didn't care, they would just walk away. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're coming to you and kind of you're, you're not feeling so good because you may have made a choice that wasn't like your favorite, but it really does help you work through that and become closer. Right. And that is true, too, for academics. Right. The more that you dig in, the deeper that you dig in with things, the more complex, the more you learn it and the better grow from it. Right. So all of those things, I think, you know, Jen and I have talked over the years that like the time component and the relationship component of the multi-year, however that looks in, in a district is is really what the payoff is, because the kids are invested as much as you are, you know, and the families are invested, you know, and it's like. This isn't going to be over for a while. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. we better figure out how to work together. Yeah. And it was really exactly. the workings of a past experience that I had in going to a principal and saying, hey, would you like to try this? I know you have a couple classes. You kind of need to, you know, because, you know, we might have grown up where there was um, combined classes where you had like mm-hmm. half third, half fourth, right? They would do that. And I said, why don't we try something where it's like more linear? And she took a risk and. We stayed in process, what was it, 14 years, Jen? I think that's right. I think about 14 years. And it wasn't until, you know, we moved to a different school, but the process was still going real strong. And I know families really felt like that they've seen the long-term payoffs too with their kiddos. And so. It was pretty neat. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts of that was over time, having like learning structures and sort of patterns to learning experiences. So the kids would know like, the directions, the routines, where the stuff is, right? Some of the nitty gritty, but the content can be changed. So it becomes more about interacting with content and less about like listening to what the directions are. The kids really are able to maximize learning time that way too. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was definitely one of my favorite pieces. And then when you get to the point, you know, we had kids move from second to third to fourth with us over time. And we knew them so well that we were able to kind of like if, if we could tell they weren't having the best day, they still knew that we loved them, even on their messiest days when they were not feeling their best versions of themselves. Like it definitely becomes more like a family in that way. And we were able to kind of amplify leadership qualities that you might not see necessarily in one year sometimes. And so kids could kind of find their space to shine, especially by that fourth grade year. And then when you've got a new crop of second graders coming in, those fourth graders really sit up tall and they really like that leadership component kicks in and, and kind of infuses some self-motivation that is totally different when an adult is trying to extrinsically motivate kids. And so I think as a teacher in any setting, when you can amplify that self-motivation piece and make kids really care about what they're learning and get kids to really own that, that agency piece that is where you get deeper learning for sure. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think by that third year, you know, it became a culture, right? And right. the new ones coming in knew that the culture of agency and that, hey, we're here to learn. And this is like, that started from day one for them. They were like, oh, this is what this is about. Okay. <laughs> They're like steeped in the language and the yeah. routines and the expectations. And then it becomes less about us and more about kids teaching kids. And that's really powerful. It was such a cool thing to experience from the parent side. And I, again, I'm kind of a, like a efficiency nuts and bolts and just the efficiency of like not having to get a new teacher, you know, and learn yeah. about a new teacher and build that trust and understanding yes. and your classmates. It's, I mean, and you're right. There are some tricky parts. If there happens to be a classmate that maybe you wish would go over to it. <laughs> that still ends up helping them because they know that, you know, that may be a coworker someday, or it may be something else that you need to learn to work. It's big life lessons. Uh, yeah. And then you're so right. Like the advocacy skills, the assertiveness, the resilience piece. And like Julin was talking about before, when you're leaning into conflict rather than kind of, nope, don't need to do that. We're just going to separate. That is a, it's a big change. And kids, they, they start to form relationships differently with that understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what was cool too, and I think we do this now, we only, we, we share a classroom right now. And we have so it's literally like 46 here. kids in a double sized, like cavernous space. <laughs> I love Missy's eyes on that. And I'm like, that is a lot of kids <laughs> in one place. It is a lot of kids. But it's cool because, because it's so big, you can't teach whole class. 
you're doing a lot of like small groups all day long and partner work. And you're doing things where it's like the kids are like, oh, there's a teacher. Oh, there's the other teacher. Oh my gosh. They're like, they're everywhere, right? It's around sound. Yeah. Working into them setting goals right, and them taking on their learning for the day. They come and we actually have a cheer that says like, why are we here? And it's to learn. What does that take? Effort. And what are you going to give? 100%. And they say that every Is day with class? teen. I know Zoe and Zoe. Both your kiddos will remember. Yeah. 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 I know. And they do. And I got to tell you, I was so grateful that we were able to finish SPLC for both kids before COVID hit. But it almost was a blessing and a curse because the contrast from having that community and that connection and level of interaction to just like nothing was like what the hell just happened? <laughs> like, what? So, but I mean, but I think that actually it was a benefit and that I think he was able to kind of ride that wave of it for mm -hmm. a while. I think it helped sustain for a little bit. And I think that's, I mean, it, it doesn't go away. I Both kids, when I told them who I was talking to tonight, were like, can we say hi? Even though they were both like really shy. That says a lot about appreciating the teacher for teacher appreciation. Yeah, it's an amazing program. When a teenager wants to say hello. <laughs> yeah, well, talking about that being amazing, the reason we wanted to have you all on for Teacher Appreciation Week is a lot of the kids are kind of feral right now. Ours are in some ways. We've talked to a lot of people and there has been an article recently talking about how the kids are feral, specifically talking about college freshmen. They get it. They don't know how to do it because they miss those key years of learning how to be people. But all of that time out for little kids who didn't have that much time to build up the school skills. I mean, it's a lot. And you're faced with a lot right now. And teaching looks really differently than it did before. And so we're just wondering, as much as you're comfortable, if you can kind of share your personal experiences with the current challenges, COVID related and what what things look like now that we're back from that hard lockdown. No, I think you're so right. And I think leaning into the social emotional learning piece right now continues to be just as important as ever. And I think redefining conflict in some ways, you know, we've talked about the relationship piece a little bit already, but, you know, making the classroom a safe space to normalize disagreement for one, right? And even go so far as to say we're encouraging productive disagreement. And we're encouraging multiple perspectives and different ideas because that's how we learn and grow, right? How are you open to new ideas? Where do you see your thinking evolving and growing and changing? And I think making that safe in an academic setting and then starting to find those teachable moments in kind of social opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, how can we, in a moment of conflict, how can we notice the other person's perspective how can you kind of use that imagination, that creativity piece to build that perspective taking muscle? And what does that look like? And so we're definitely finding ourselves leaning into that just as much, if not more, knowing that we were all in our homes and, and there was minimal conflict because we were a rectangle on the screen, right? <laughs> and, and so, yeah. And teaching kids, you know, I find we're doing, you know, a little bit more assertiveness teaching, I think as parents and as teachers right now. How do you use your words when you're not sure that, you know, you want to be respectful, you want to use kind words, but you also need to use strong words because your friend needs to hear that. And so really explicitly teaching all those kinds of skills right now, um, it, this is definitely the time. And I yeah, love that you're focusing on the social emotional learning. And anybody who has gone to my personal Facebook page knows that I have a pinned post there from the last time I <laughs> yeah. got in my soapbox about social emotional <laughs> learning. Uh, because there are, I don't even want to say significant groups. There are minor groups of people with significant noisy loud voices yeah. who are actually trying to shut down social emotional learning in our district, in our state. I mean, it may get to the legislative point where it's like, no, you can literally only teach my kids if it has to do with like a math problem or like, you know, the reading, writing, arithmetic that you would think of from the 1800s. Um, so it's a big thing. And I do encourage people that anytime that they hear the term social emotional learning to actually dive into that and learn what that means and not mm -hmm. be afraid of that term because people are trying to stigmatize that term. And it's so important now more than ever that kids are learning 
how to deal with their own challenging emotions, how to deal with challenging relationships. These are the skills that they're going to take through their whole lives. And it's not taking away from their ability to do long division, to know how to get along with their classmates. So again, soapbox again, um, if you hear someone bashing on the idea of SEL or social emotional learning, please take the time to actually dive into what that really means. Um, Absolutely. It is. I mean, but they see it. Like we saw it last year. I remember having the conversations when we were on, you know, online and we thought, oh my gosh, next year it, they've, they've been told to stay away from each other. They've been told to keep six feet. Mm-hmm. You know, this That's year, we this, 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 like we knew it was coming, right? Because yep, how right. Taught, we knew what it was like, which is every day teachers are dealing with conflict. Every day that is a normal part. You can't ignore how these kids, they need to learn those skills when they're little. So that, you know, if not now, when, you know, like I have kids in in college and if they're learning how to work out roommate things then, like, and they have, (laughs) yeah, like my freshman in college did his own big work this year and I didn't have to do a thing and I knew he was going to be okay because you have to do it when they're little, right? And so knowing that they were separated, we, I remember having conversations with Jen going, man, next year's going to be tricky because we haven't had to do that. But then when it this year, it really did. We were like, we told ourselves, <laughs> we like acknowledge how hard that is because that's a whole set of learning that kids just need to learn relationally. Absolutely. And yeah. if they're stuck in that world, right, if they're kind of thinking, oh, I'm not feeling safe or whatever, you know, whatever, we haven't worked out this issue, their mind is not thinking about the learning. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about, I-, I still have this and I don't know what to do with these feelings, you know? Yeah. So that's that feeling of being part of a community, that connectedness, right? That's a basic human need, just as much as food and water and shelter. And so creating that community where kids feel a part of that and that collaboration piece, that's an important component of that. We are really explicitly teaching what collaboration looks like and sounds like, right? So we're saying Mm -hmm. things like you might need to lean in. So you're making eye contact and, you know, all these really explicit Mm -hmm. ways that we're kind of reteaching what it looks like when you're connecting with other humans that's not necessarily on a screen now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I think we all need that. Missy and I talked about that when we went to the Mom 2 conference this last yeah. week. We're like, I think we forgot how to people, like sometimes <laughs> the same weird things. <laughs> I forget that people can see me. It's crazy. Like I would have to constantly remind myself, I am not alone. Yes. Yeah, with adults at, and we had many years of interactions with people like yeah. these kids, like you're saying, Missy, earlier, if they have had few experiences, they're really relearning all of this. And that's a really important thing to not, you know, Jen and I have talked about, like, if those things are in place and those kids know that they're safe and they're learning and mistakes and they have goals and they're in charge, like, that's what really ac- accelerates the learning. Yep. If they're in a good place, the learning comes. Because they're in charge of it. They feel good. That's like academic self-esteem right there. Because you've really hit the core of like what Jen's saying, those basic human needs of connection and safety, right? And if we're not meeting those needs, you can give all the curriculum in the world and it's going to be hard to make that gain. Oh, I wish we felt the safety. I think it's, I don't know. I hope it's better for you in elementary school than we're seeing in the middle and the high school. Things are a little bit intense on the parent Facebook groups and (laughs) kids lighting shit on fire in school for no apparent reason. (laughs) I probably for a lot of reasons that are apparent if you. You know what? My kids' schools, I won't say which one, but (laughs) there's, there are no paper towels in the bathrooms. They had to take out the dispensers because they either kept getting stolen or vandalized or the paper towels were being used for non-paper towel activities and causing so many problems. So now they're supposed to use the hand dryers, but in half of them, the hand dryers don't work. And these are nice schools. It's not like yeah. these schools don't have the funding to fix it. They they can't fix it because if they fix it, somebody's going to break it. You know, like it's just a yeah. mess. My son can't go to the bathroom past 11 a.m. Because they close they close them, so so in that they cannot become arson. (laughs) What happens if you gotta go? Yeah. So middle schools, 
Menopause has been a little bit rough. No, menopausal lady, it's panicking to think about it. I know. Menopause is another one, but I'm like, oh, yeah, those poor little girls who are getting their first periods. No, let them in the bathroom. I mean, that's interesting because, you know, that's the other thing I think, you know, touching on what, like, where our teaching starts and ends, right? And we're talking about social emotional learning and we're talking about types of curriculum and things like that. And, you know, it's interesting as I have a middle schooler myself, and I know Jen has a high schooler, that, you know, their world is, a lot of what they see right on different social media. And Mm -hmm. I've had to have conversations and I, we have conversations with our kids too. Like if you've seen that on YouTube and you laugh at it, right. Or you think, oh, that's the trend or whatever. But in real life, if that happens, is that really funny? Is that really okay? And I don't know how many conversations, you know, sometimes we have with our kids to really disseminate like, you know, what, what source are you looking at? And not just, okay, I'm going to shut down your, you know, YouTube, but also sort of giving them those skills. And that's really where, you know, whatever kind of curriculum you're telling me I can or can't do, right. I can also tell them to be discerning, um, learners and just be very critical thinking. That's the critical thinking, right? That's (laughs) Yeah. Is this okay or not? Or is this real or not? Is this a trusted source or not? Those are the those are the things that you want your kids to have so that it transcends all experiences, right? Yeah. And just right. be, a lot of us who have the little rule followers who are like yeah. super like, what the heck? I mean, my son one day on the way to drum lessons, I mean, I thought he was going to, he was pretty upset about it. He's like, do you think I'll be able to get a job someday? And I was like, of course, of course. He's like, Cause I'm really worried about some of the kids at school. I don't think they're going to be able to get jobs the way they're acting. <laughs> I was like, Aw. I was like, they, you know what? This is a time when everybody's kind of working out their kinks. They're figuring <laughs> things out. I had some friends back in high school that would, you know, they were the pipe bomb and the toilet kids and they grew up to be accountants and like they, Sometimes they just got to work through some stuff. And in particular this time, especially with the TikToks and everybody. I mean, these poor kids, I mean, they, if they're going to do the TikTok light in the bathroom on fire, they got to learn to not do it in front of the mirror. Because I'm like, y'all, you just busted. If you're going to be a hoodlum, be a smart hoodlum. (laughs) If we're going to get the critical thinking in there one way or another. Stop and think about. Yeah. Think about the way that you videotape your videos. Let's predict. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. But no, I don't want to emphasize the the kind of craziness. That's the lowest common denominator of what is going on. And there's a lot of good things that are still going on. But I just have a special, again, why we wanted to do the teacher pre because I think there's a lot of parents who feel like they have special snowflakes who are not doing this stuff and who are getting really frustrated and being like, oh, my child deserves a better education than this. And we're like, oh, well, then I don't know, go to Mars because right now Earth is Earth teachers are dealing with this stuff and it's going to take some time while we all work this out. But I mean, in the meantime, one of the really, truly greatest gifts, Julian, that you have given both my kiddos is this gift of the love of reading. I gotta tell you, the 16-year-old's on a little bit of a pause, although she did, she took a book because they had the star test today, which again, mm-hmm. that's a soapbox I could get on a whole episode. We're not for. going there tonight. I'm not, I'm, whole not, I'm not, because I've had some wine and I'm like, do not that's stress awesome. about this. No college board is going to look at what your star test was. Take it and then read your book. Um, but no, one of the best gifts that you've given both the kids is this gift of loving reading and not just, I remember, God, let's see, Zoe started with you in the second grade. I don't know if it was the second or the third grade. I was talking to her about a book I was reading for book club and she's like, oh, well, what were the stop signs or something in that book? What were the signposts in that book? And I was like, I don't know what you are talking about, little second grader. There being any signs, really. Things that authors do, mom. (laughs) It's like, no, it's like the recurring themes that you see that are threaded throughout the narrative of this book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And here I am as a writer. I've been reading for 40 plus years. And this little girl. And so not even just the love of reading but really knowing how to read like and not like how to read like what are the letters and you know the phonics of it but like how to 
look at a book and the way that a story mm -hmm. is formed. Mm -hmm. And so I do know, okay, again, the 16-year-old, she's taken a brief hiatus. She was really good for a while. Now she's got a boyfriend. And even the 12-year-old, like he's gotten really stuck on, oh, not Grenade. What's it called? Uh, is that is that the name of the book? Is it the Grenade or something, the series? Yeah, and Alan Grants, yeah. Yeah, and he has, like, I think both of them get into comfort books. Like Zoe's was Smile by Raina Tell. Toadmeyer, yep. Toadmeyer, mm -hmm. yep. and then and then his is Grenade, which I don't know that that sounds like a real cover book. It's kind of like people who watch, like I refer to my husband watching The West Wing over and over. It's like the comfort TV or the comfort whatever, where you just you know what's coming and they kind of read the same books over and over. My youngest is a comfort reader too. Like yeah, every summer and every Christmas break goes through the same books. Yes, and I'm like, we can't just do this until he this poor author writes another book. It could take two to three years. <laughs> like you need to branch out. So I'm just curious if you have for our listeners any tips for other listeners who are maybe either having trouble getting their kids to read or they're kind of in this lull or this repeat comfort reading. The best thing I will say, because there's no magic. Everybody's like, God, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not magic. <laughs> no magic. I, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of kids reading. I mean, I do do a, way more than adult reading. I Like my entire school year, if I'm in a book, it's... I'm reading kids lit. But I think, you know, it kind of goes back to two things. Thinking about teaching as helping kids find their purpose and helping them find a connection to the world. And whether that's a connection to their own world or it's to a larger world, but it's to see that books are, as Cornelius Minor likes to say, they're windows and mirrors into people's lives. But in order to kind of do that, and I think this is where that time piece comes, is like really listening to kids. You know, and not just like what they're interested in, like if they like skateboarding, like just getting them a skateboard book. Like it's more about like, tell me more about what it is. Is it about the, like the determination in skateboarders that they fall all the time and they get, oh, well, you might like this character that does this. And I do a lot of sort of suggesting and it's sort of like, okay, take like five of them, tell me which one jives, you know, and I kind of like walk mm -hmm. away. So it's really goes back to what, you know, Jen was saying earlier about that agency piece and describing them as readers. So whenever we talk, we say, hey, readers, this is, you know, it's you, you're yeah. scripting their identity as a reader and as a writer, I would say the same thing and mathematician, same thing, but really putting that like as a normal, that's an identity you already have and how you express that is different. And I think it's very normal in the teen years to take a pause. Because they are infiltrated with nonfiction right now at school, right? And things they yeah. have to read and they, the ways they have to do things. So that's really the jive I love because like I get them when they're little and it's like, okay, I don't have to do a book for you. Like, so we read Long Walk to Water by Linda Sue Park and we learn about the mm -hmm. water crisis in Africa. And we, you know, read about different kinds of kids that have autism and their experiences and things that are way outside the realm of what they do, but we do it as a community in a really safe space where they can ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I'm always checking in with them. You know, I'm always like, hey, how's that? How's the character doing? Not what page are you on? Or, you know, but it's just the way you frame things, right? It's, yeah. it's more or less really as a reader, that's what we do, right? It's us following a character. So it's really mm -hmm. reminding them that this is not a task to finish something you're going through an experience with. And if right. you're kind of losing touch with that character, I will encourage them to say like, why, why do you think that's happening? Is, have you just kind of like, this is not really connecting with you or have you kind of moved back? What is that, you know, that push and pull? So I think that's the kind of language that I use with kids. But yeah, it's, it's scripting them as readers. It's being able to say, hey, there's a lot of choice in this for you. And then just kind of asking them how it's going on their journey. And a lot of times they finish without you even like, I'm like, oh, you're done. I was going to say, like, you totally reframed for me, you know, that zipping into a character, right? That when you read a book, you are going on a journey with that character as if they were physically in the room with you. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I've heard you say to kids that I found like total switch is like, you should be a different person when you finish a book. Like, how did that book change you? And really letting kids see that these are not just, you know, static words on a page. Like, how are you really letting that impact you and change you? And that's, that's huge. That's a big switch. For kids. Yeah. And it's cool to teach the writing alongside of it too, right? Because yeah. then they see how writers do that to them. And then you say, how are you going to do that to 
your writer, you know, mm-hmm. it's a pretty cool, like in and out kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And now Jen, you build the same type of excitement around math and science. Like I that, wish I'd have you for a teacher. Depending, yeah, depending on the kiddo, that may be easier or harder. I don't know. <laughs> so like, I know that my son came out of your class, like really excited about math and science. And so whatever magic you worked as well, or is it similar to what <laughs> Julian is saying as far as? No, yeah, I, I absolutely echo that about your son. Like he, he was inspiring and, and really there's not much that I needed to do in that situation. He was so excited and, you know, had that intrinsic curiosity about puzzles. I love that. Um, and that's, that's infectious, right? If you see a few mathematicians who are like, Ooh, I'm jamming on this. Other kids want to go check it out. They want to go see what's going on. And so that's a big piece of that community. But I think for me, I did not see myself as a math person when I was moving through school. I saw math as kind of a set of procedures that you need to memorize and there's steps. And if I learn the steps and I remember all the steps, mm-hmm. that's what math is. And really it's a series of connections and it should be something that you discover so that you can really own an understanding of it rather than watching somebody else. You should be able to articulate it. You should be able to kind of choose from a variety of pathways. It should be much more open and creative and not like one size fits all. And I think one of my favorite things about being, you know, a teacher is being able to see kids start to see themselves as a mathematician and that math is not something that has to be fast, that actually some of the most amazing mathematicians in the world of math are slow, deep thinkers. And that Mm -hmm. starts to level the playing field big time. And that is not how I thought of math when I was in elementary school. So I can remember a timed test of like, you have to get through this many in a certain amount of time. And do you remember that anxiety inducing? Like, I mean, I'm sweating now. That is a hot flash. (laughs) Understanding is at all. So it's something that I hope that, you know, that that message of anyone can be a math person and, and that growth mindset piece and how that applies, I think, especially to math is really important. And that's definitely a passion of mine. Yeah. Imagine you know, to give kids, like it oh. only gets more complicated than math that is. She, she really makes math very visual and it's not about like, okay, I know the process. Like, okay, I can do the algorithm. It's really about like conceptualizing and they get a really mm-hmm. deep understanding that everything that that Jen asks them to do has a visual piece that they can create many different ways, but it shows that they're, they're really getting that number connection and that number sense, Mm -hmm. not just the next step in the algorithm. Right. And I love the idea of like, even if you don't see yourself as a math person now, like you might grow into that because unfortunately my daughter didn't have the benefit of having Jen as her math teacher. And so she really didn't, and she's more of an artist. We're looking at art schools and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But she she had never kind of considered herself a math person. But I don't know who her teacher was in high school that finally like it, or maybe it was just she hit a time in her life or her brain was ready for it to click. But she started feeling more confident. And it like mm-hmm. all of a sudden she was like, oh, okay. Like, I feel like I got control of this now and it became more fun. And I I tell her all the time, I said, in my senior year, I dropped out of calculus because I could not get over a 30% on a test. Even when the teacher was sitting there with me, I could not. But then I went to school my freshman year of college and I set the curve in calculus. Like, so I don't know if my brain just needed like a a little time to let it soak in, or if it was way that someone was teaching it, I don't know what it was, but just because it doesn't hit the first time, I mean, it didn't not hit. I mean, it was like, like I said, even with his help, I was not even getting a third of the questions right to getting over a hundred percent a year later. So I just hope that people who are like, maybe have kids who are stumbling on a particular mm-hmm. subject and thinking, oh, well, that must not be for me. It doesn't mean it's not for you. It means maybe it's just not working for you right now. Yep. And and don't give up don't on it. Understand that yet. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. The power yes. is yet. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. You may just need a different strategy to be able to access that. Yes. Love yes. it. Yes. So don't give up. Don't give up. No. <laughs> well, and like you're saying, the power of reflection, you know, thinking back where you yeah. were and seeing where you are now, I think that's really powerful. I think we keep thinking where we should be or where we should be going. 
And mm-hmm. one of the things in our classroom we really do very regularly is we have portfolios that look through all the work from the beginning. The kids got some work back the other day they did at the beginning of the year and they were like, I didn't realize I grew that much. And yeah. Not just like the, you could see just the, the smiles and the radiation that came out of them from just feeling so proud of the work that they had done themselves and yeah. that they worked really hard to grow. Oh, I love those portfolios, even though they weighed like 400 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> they're backpacks. Like, I know. Like, kids are so yeah. little that their backpacks are already bigger than they are sometimes. And then if it's yeah. full of stuff. Oh it's just... And we used to have this badass principal at our at this school originally. And I remember when we had just moved from Seattle to Texas, it was Zoe's first day of kindergarten. And we go in there and there's like a thousand kids sitting in this gymnasium, silent because this woman has control of these kids. <laughs> Were you a little freaked out? I was a little freaked out. First of all, it was like the Pledge of Allegiance. I was like, I'm ready for that. And then they'd like pledge to the Texas flag. And I'd like, what the hell? This is weird. Okay. It's weird. We did not do that when we were growing up. We did not pledge to Washington. Okay, Texas. Oh, shoot. I can't remember where I was going with, oh, Dr. Schneider. She was just, she was a trip. But yeah, it's just this idea of having this powerful force over your school. And someone who is willing to listen to some of your really... I mean, probably out there ideas about setting up this second, third, fourth, multi-grade strength-based cohort. So yeah, hats off to some of the principals who are willing to do some really creative things, um, even though they may scare the shit out of your kids that first day of kindergarten. I had assembly last night and had forgotten about the Texas Pledge because it's been a while since I've been at a school activity like that. We didn't do any, any of that during COVID and so we were at this event last night and I got the giggles doing the Texas Pledge. I mean, I can't do the Texas Pledge. I don't know it. I'm a native Texan. I don't know it. It didn't exist when I was That's a fourth grade requirement. <laughs> you did not really? go to Tiger Elementary. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't exist. Like, we didn't want to have it. And my husband and I are both native Texans. And we're just, we just kind of have the giggles. And these kids are just hand over heart reciting that thing. Just, I don't know. The whole thing is kind of funny. I don't know if there's any other state that has a pledge. California didn't. No, I think it is just Texas. And believe me, oh my God, I came out of Seattle just being, I feel so bad. Talk about being one of the obnoxious parents of a snowflake. Like (laughs) I came there and they used to have these like amazing art projects. And oh my God, I still love them to this day. I have them all over the house, these magnets. So they would have like, you know, they would do their art things that kindergartners and first graders do. But then they would have a fundraiser thing or just like the mm-hmm. set thing that like every kid that ever goes to the school for the history of mankind will draw this cat in kindergarten. And in this, you know, in the second grade, they're going to run downstairs under, under <laughs> the universe. And in the third grade, they're going to like draw a hand. You know, it's just like, it's just a thing. And my kids, you know, four years apart have the same thing that they drew in every year. But in me coming from my special snowflake, co-op preschool Seattle world I remember writing the most obnoxious email to Miss Swinton I was just like my daughter's like used to just drawing whatever she would like to draw and I feel like (laughs) her creativity has been confined to this cat she's a dog too <laughs> and it was in kindergarten oh my god and miss nobby was probably just like what the hell and like oh god best best art teacher ever miss sweat just love 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 i sent my kids to all of her summer camps that she would do i was you- gonna say yeah oh. my two boys went to her summer camps and i wish we could walk downstairs right now but who knows what's happening downstairs <laughs> by house right now but I have on like my art wall on one of my kitchen walls, there's two ostriches that my two boys, yeah, Julian knows what I'm talking about, both made in the same art camp, except my boys are five years apart from each other. Okay. So my younger one made this when he was in like kindergarten. And it's this big oil pastel ostrich. One eye is looking that way, one eye is looking like down this way. Like it's a total portrait of my feisty younger kid, right? 
And then juxtaposed with that ostrich is the other like super perfect fifth grade ostrich. Like followed all the rules. It's like, is this fabulous like self-portrait bird style? But I know. And art is such a powerful thing to have in your house, right? Because you see those hands and those cats that you lend search up. It makes me smile literally every single time I look up at that one. I got to share. Yeah, I got to share a picture of this. And we do. I used. They made like a little taco holder. We put our kitchen sponges in it. It's like yeah. prime, like front and center in our in our kitchen. But I oh, do. You're think- such a good mom. Oh well, and no, it's handy. It actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ours is in the bathroom. Yeah. But no, I do think that that's taught me the most important lesson. I'm so glad that she was so gentle and forgiving with me, and that, and just like, and it was. She's like, just trust me and just wait. And it sure enough was because. I think that's the beauty of art. I think that's the beauty of kids and of education is that even if you give them like the draw the cat assignment yeah. and, and give them the general guidelines of what a cat looks like, they are so completely different. And oh God, yeah. there was one of them. I will have to show this because everybody had like these sweet little sons and they were these <laughs> smiley sons. And my son's looked like he was trying to eat your soul. It was like, <laughs> and I even showed the grandparents. I was like, you are like off the hook for buying this this year. You do not need a pot holder that looks like a son that is coming for your soul. Eat you. I was like, you don't need the mouse pad. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need the locate for any no. of these things. But no, it did teach me that. For like we've been saying, every kid is their own little person and no matter, even if you do put them in. And sometimes I do think that sometimes creativity is the most creative when you do put some restrictions on it Mm. as far as like, not that like it has to look exactly number, but But like you do with this. Yeah. Yeah. Like this guy's a turkey assignment that we did. I love that. (laughs) And my Classic. kids' turkeys were so different. Yeah. yeah. Like every, they did it a couple times. Like I think they did it in preschool and then they did it again, like the same year of elementary school or something. And like third grade. Yep. It's every turkey is so they'd hang them in the hall. Like I loved going up to school and seeing them in the hall. And it was such a vast range of turkeys. <laughs> All kinds of turkey things. So one of my favorite things on TikTok, and I spend too much time on TikTok, is teachers will show like what I asked my students to make. And here's the example I showed them. And then they show what their kids made. And oh, it's the best. Teacher TikTok is pretty funny, by the way. If you guys don't ever get lost in the teacher TikTok scroll. Oh, we don't have time. <laughs> you probably don't. Yeah, you're like, no, I'm actually teaching your kids how to read right now. Yeah. We're living the teacher TikTok. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's not funny for us. Not funny. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's funny in the summer. <laughs> there you go. Four more weeks left. Four more weeks left. Yeah. And okay, now, okay, we're coming towards the end of our hour. Yes. So you can answer this question either way. So I do feel like teacher appreciation is just this, like, it's this weird umbrella term that we use. And we know that everybody has their different love language as far as like whether they want something that's worth money or whether they want something that's like it tugs the heartstrings or whether they just want some quiet for a little bit (laughs) so like what does teacher appreciation look like to you or what's your uh favorite book and or teacher that you've ever had you can answer any or all of those well i'm going to answer the like the teacher appreciation i was thinking about it because jen and i talked about how like genuine authentic emails and words from you guys all throughout the year when you pause and you really notice this difference in your child and you like, I don't want to, I want to tell them about it. Like that really, that, that is huge all throughout the year. Um, but I think to, to add on to that, like even after your kids leave us, like I just get such a, just an utter joy when I hear from kids and they say, we were in a class and they said something about signposts. And I was like, I learned that in third grade. Like, <laughs> you know, just like the, you just, you realize the impact you do have, right. Or if they just tell you how you're doing, how they're doing, it just mean you just know you still have that connection. That just matters so much to me. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, you know, so much of what we do happens within, you know, these four walls. And it's like we talked about at the beginning, it's really messy and it's not super concrete and linear. And so it's sometimes hard to see 
the progress on a day-to-day basis. And so to know that a kid owned something, some kind of learning, whatever it is, and brought it home and talked about it, and then a parent saw like actual evidence of that, and then they took the time to, you know, send a note or an email, that's huge. That's huge. I have, and I'm sure Julin does too, I have like envelopes full of like notes from kids and from parents and and those are truly treasures, like things yeah. that when I'm having a tough day, yeah. I will go back and kind of read oh. through those like, oh, oh, and all these little memories of, you know, little anecdotes that people have, have taken the time to write down and send our way. That's, that's a treasure. Yeah. Oh. I got to ask, do you have a favorite teacher from back in your path that you remember to this day? Yeah. Well, I tell the kids yeah. it every year. I tell the kids about her every year. Um, it was my fifth grade teacher who really taught me to love reading and writing. And it was the first year that I really like understood a book. I was a good reader, like, but I didn't remember books well. I just passed tests really well. Um, so that was, she was a life changer. Yeah. That's my, my all time. I go back to it every day, every year. I have my little journals from when I was in fifth grade, the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, but I think I think for me, it was a choir teacher that I had for multiple years. So I really got to know her. She really built a, a community around us. And it was probably one of the first places where I felt comfortable to like, I was super shy when I was a kid. And so I felt comfortable enough to take a leadership role. She encouraged me to try to be, I mean, choir president is a really big deal when you're in middle school. And so she just, she saw some things in me that I didn't yet see in myself. And that's really powerful and helped create a community in that looping piece, man. It's really powerful to be able to be with that same person who knows you so well over multiple years. Yeah. Oh, I wish I'd had that. I wish my kids had had that a couple of times. Like it just oh, would make a huge difference. I am so grateful. I know I consider myself so lucky. I think it set a really high bar for my kiddos, but, and also benefited them in so many ways to have that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so lucky. And I do hope that maybe there's some teachers out there that are listening to this and maybe it gets them thinking outside of the box and wondering what type of things they can set up at their school. Because I mean, this isn't something that was just existed at the school and you fell into it. You invented it. Yep. And I remember for a while it was just kind of this, not prototype, but it was like this little testing phase to like see if this is going to work or not. And obviously how many years later? Yeah, 14. 14 years. Oh, it was just such a, such a special (laughs) thing. It's a lot of work. I will tell you, like that's a lot of work. Three grade levels for three years. I think that puts another load on teachers to know three curriculums and yep. all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot. And it's so, you know, I yeah, think it's exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot at first, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But again, finding structures and routines, we were, it, yeah. it, it was great. Yes. Oh, well, we have taken you over our hour. And yes. I, I feel I like I could talk to you for another hour. Sure. Oh my God. There's been a few times I've actually had to help back tears here. And I feel like I'm going to sign off and just start bawling because I really do miss having you in our lives and just knowing that my kiddos are in such good hands and I'm sure they're in good hands too. But you know, once they go to middle school and high school, you don't have the same type of relationship with the teachers as you do when they're in elementary. And it's, which is kind of one of those things that I feel like at that age, you, you want to give them a little agency to own that process. Absolutely. And, and advocate for themselves, but yes. it says, but it makes you not know and be able to fully appreciate. I'm sure their teachers are doing some also amazing things to help them get excited about learning that I just don't have as much uh, visibility into it as I did with you. But um, one of I my know- favorite memories, I hope I remember it when I'm old is my high, he's a high school sophomore. He came home like multiple times in the first week of school because they didn't see every teacher every day they're on block and plus they did some weird stuff where they only did some classes one day that he would come home and he'd be like you are not gonna believe this about my teacher and it was all good stuff it wasn't like this person's crazy he was like they he would talk about you know what their careers had been and their passion for teaching and I my husband and I would just look at each other and then our son would leave the room and we'd be like I didn't want my kid to be like, I didn't want him to see me freaking out because then of course that's a sure bet he'll never speak to me about it again. <laughs> Good teachers 
change the world. And I love teachers and I love those of you who have such a passion for what you're doing. And so I, I cannot say thank you enough. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate you, especially during these especially trying times with our feral children. We apologize on their behalf. <laughs> it's all part of the process. It's, yeah, it's part of the work. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it. Yeah. Thanks for having us, you guys. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for all you Happy Teacher do. Appreciation Week. And are we signing off, right. Missy? We're going to sign off. I guess I need to turn us off. Good night, everybody on Facebook. And I am ending it. Thank you so much for joining us for the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you know someone else who could benefit from today's episode, be sure to share it with them. Also, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in the show notes over at our website, momandpodcast.com with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, you can find us at the socials, including our private mom and community Facebook group. You can find links to the group, all of our socials, and our questions and comments section over at our website, momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.